Welcome to the Emerited Podcast, the landowner podcast to provide you with inspiration, new perspectives, and quick tips on your forest management and land ownership journey. All right, we are finally on part three of our succession series for this November. And if you haven't already listened, go check out part one, where I talk about whether you should sell or keep your land. Part two, whether you should subdivide your land or keep it as a whole. And then today we are talking about specifically on what you need to do to pass on your land, to prepare your family the best way possible you can to pass on the land. All right, now it all comes down to what I think we're probably going to be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Plans and records. Take as much accountability, take as much records, create and keep all the different plans you possibly have. Now, this may sound like common sense to you, but you'd be surprised how uncommon common sense is because I've heard so many different stories where it's a, well, you know, daddy always did everything in his head. I don't know what was done in the past or my husband has it all figured out, but it's actually all written on chicken scratch on all these different scrap pieces of paper or receipts that are scattered about everywhere that used to start off in a binder, but it's no longer in the binder and half of it's on the truck floor. That probably means it's flew out the window by now. We need to keep better plans and records. And I say we, I mean mean as well. I am notoriously bad at this. I feel like I'm a very organized person, but I'm also so disorganized. And once I get off the bandwagon of staying on top of things, it is so much more overwhelming to try to go back, find this information, dig it up, and start organizing everything that if I just would have kept up with to begin with, it would have been so much easier. So we need to keep records. We need to keep plans. We need to write things down. And of course, if it wasn't obvious, it's also biblical to keep records. We're going to be jumping over to Exodus 17 verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And I have no idea if that's how you say it, but we're going to pretend that's how you pronounce that name. Okay. But God ordered Moses to write this on a scroll so it would be remembered. And so Joshua would hear it. Sometimes we need to write things down, not for our own benefit, but to make sure and ensure that someone else is also going to hear that message, hear that receipt, see that receipt, hear that plan, so it doesn't get forgotten. Now we can also jump over to the New Testament, where in Matthew 1, 1, it begins through the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and it goes on and on and on through the genealogy. Now, you may not necessarily have a genealogy you're keeping up with your land, but to me, this is the same as keeping up with past history of your timber types, past management on your land, keeping up with the history and writing it down so you can look back and connect the dots of this used to be this and this came from that to now become this. You can just look at the entire book of numbers. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. Sometimes it's definitely boring to read. But it's so important. So that way, not just today, not next week, maybe not even your own kids who can still kind of remember and remember seeing things. It's for that future reference of those who have no connection, no mind's eye, no memory of what things used to be and used to look like. Those are the reasons why we write things down. And my last reference, which is going to be to me, one of the most 
well, not really one of the most memorable, but definitely has been striking to me. It's been hitting hard with me is in the book of Esther. Okay. I decided to read the book of Esther and I've quoted Esther 414 for perhaps this is the moment you were created for. You've seen it all over my different trainings, but I'm going to be jumping to Esther 2 verse 23. Okay. And it says, well, I'm going to actually back up a little bit just to give you a little bit more reference of Mordecai. Mordecai is actually Esther's uncle who helped raise her and kind of helped get her to be this queen position. So I'm going to jump up to verse 22. But Mordecai found out that the plot and told the queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All of this was recorded in the book of the annals and the presence of the king. Okay, so what I want to point out was that Mordecai did something, told Esther, Esther followed through on it, and then it was all recorded in the book. And you're like, okay, cool, it was recorded. But what makes this so important is you jump all the way four chapters all right that was in chapter two we're jumping all the way to chapter six and now time frames are kind of funny of course in the bible and so i'm not going to go into how much time has actually passed at this point but it's been plenty of time okay so we're jumping over to verse one in chapter six now we were in chapter two we're in chapter six that night the king could not sleep so he ordered the book of the chronicles the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bithana and Thirsh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. And it goes forward into talking about where the king's like, hey, this Mordecai guy, what honor did he actually receive? And the attendants are like, nothing. Nothing was actually ever done for him. It's just recorded. He he told about the assassination. So the king brings in this evil Haman guy, and he's like, hey, how do I honor somebody? And Haman tells him about this really lavish parade that should be done for this guy that the king is greatly wanting to honor and thinking it's himself the entire time. And then things get reversed, and it actually turns out to be Mordecai who the king wants to honor and Haman has to parade him around the town which if you read through the book of Esther Mordecai and Haman kind of have this huge ordeal going on where Haman actually wants to destroy Mordecai and uh, all the Jews in Israel but what I wanted to point out because I went down a little bit of rabbit hole there was in verse one and two okay you know the king couldn't sleep that night so he brought his book to be read to him about all of his great accomplishments which is a little arrogant but it brings in the point that the fact that mordecai's assassination saving of the king was recorded in the book and the king was able to reference that because he obviously forgot even though it was recorded right in front of him he could not remember did not even realize that this mordecai guy had saved his life until that book was read to him again at a later date and this just shows the importance of writing things down because sometimes in the moment we write it down we don't really take much action on it we don't really think about it that much and it's not until later and perhaps it's not even until someone else picks the book up later that that record really has a greater impact for what's going to happen in the future The king honoring Mordecai sets the whole stage up for Esther, for all the Jews to be saved, and Haman to be more or less destroyed, okay? 
And so to me, this just screams the importance of keeping records, of writing things down, to keeping things in a very concise manner. And again, I'm preaching to the choir of really just preaching to myself of why I need to do better at writing records and keeping plans. So what do you actually need to pass things down to make everything so much easier? You need to have a management plan. You need to have at least what's called a stewardship plan, a 10-year plan, um, a 15-year plan, depending on what state you may be in, depends on how your local county foresters may reference this. In Georgia, we call this a stewardship plan or just a 10-year management plan. And what that means is it's a concise plan that takes into account your entire tract, all of your objectives, just all the different variables going on at one time into one area. It's a usually a very long and very detailed plan. It'll give you soils, timber type, maybe a little bit of history, any streams and wetlands you have going on, topography, location. It's your one-stop shop. When I was a county forester, I always really emphasized this plan, even to those who literally told me, why do I need to do this? I could die next week because they were elderly. I said, this is a gift for your children or your grandchildren so they can pick it up and know exactly what your goals were, what was done on the land and what you intended to do on the land. Is it written in stone? Absolutely not because nothing in forest management is ever written in stone. But this is a great starting point that's going to help you keep you on track. It's going to help tell everybody else what was done in the past. And also, again, if something happens, heaven forbid, in the middle of it, what you intended to do in the future. So you're not leaving them in the wind with no idea what your goals are, what you might have on the books, what you might be scheduling in the future. This gives them everything. Now, you are also going to have what I would recommend having at least as what considers brief management plans or maybe it's just called a simple plan. Again, depending on where you're at and who you're talking to. And this is essentially just your management plan of very immediate practices, operations that you want to get done. All right, so it's going to be stand specific. It's not looking at your entire tract. It's not looking at all your variables. For example, your stewardship plan, that 10-year plan, it's going to outline your mature 30-year-old law bolly, what you should do every year for the next 10 years for all the different wildlife, timber volume, prescribed burning, aesthetics, as well as the reforestation on stand two that you need to get done next year, as well as the ag fields and those food plots. A brief management plan is going to say, hey, on that stand two, that reforestation, you need to do a herbaceous weed control over your trees using this herbicide spraying on this size, four foot bandwidth in September. It's gonna be very, very specific. Your brief management plans are also used for amendments. So say something happens and you needed to do a thinning maybe two years later than you intended to do it. You would get your brief management plan exact uh, outlining exactly how you want to do it. Fourth row thin down to a 65 basal area. You're looking to have it completed between August and December. You know, those, those types of details. And then you could simply take that one page PDF because it's not a long plan. Just take that one page PDF, stick it in your 10 year management plan. So it also keeps a record of things you've actually executed. That 10 year plan is more of a guideline. It's your ideals, it's your goals, but it's not necessarily your stepping stones. Your brief management plans are more of those instruction manuals of what you are doing, except a much shorter instruction manual. It's more like an instruction PDF where you're just getting that one sheeter, you're quick and dirty, and that's your communication tool with your resources usually. Now, what else do you need to keep in, you know, in line? 
your contacts. I highly recommend, and actually in my Women Lander Academy at the very end, uh, I had spaces for your contacts. I recommend writing down your names, your numbers of the contractors, foresters, NRCS agents, technicians, whoever it is that you've ever gotten involved with with your land. Keep those names and contacts very easy to find. And that way, again, in the future, if you need some road maintenance, if you need another logging job, if you need some more herbicide spraying, whether or not you're working with a consultant, you have all of this information and a very easy to find. You don't have to Google and find out, you know, where they're at or who they're working for now, if they still exist or not. You have it there and the phone number or email will very quickly tell you if they're still working or not working. Also, your receipts. Your receipts are going to be very, very valuable for your tax records. And so all of this is going to play to your benefit for potential tax deductions, expenses to lower your tax bill, which is not something we're getting into in this immediate podcast episode today. But it is going to help you and give you those types of benefits. But keeping your receipts is going to provide you some referencing for the future of what things cost. Now, you're not going to be able to say, well, I only paid $200 an acre for site prep and reforestation six years ago, so I should only have to pay $200 an acre this year. But it is going to give you, again, that history of things that were done, maybe history of how things have changed, either for the worse or for the better, if things got more expensive or less expensive. It's going to give you that starting point. Do you need to keep your records forever? Or not your records, (laughs) your receipts. Do you need to keep your receipts forever? No. But I would keep them for at least a certain amount of time to give you that reference. And again, in case something happens to you in the middle of operations, these receipts will give the next beneficiary, the next one in line, some frame of reference of what things are going to cost. And that's going to help put things in perspective to keep them from feeling like maybe they're being taken advantage of. If that's outrageously way too expensive, if that's way too under underpriced of like, well, I'm, what am I really getting here? It's going to give them that frame of mind, that frame of reference to know if they're in the ballpark of reason. Lastly, not going to go into a whole lot of detail here of the thing that you definitely need to have is a will. You need to make sure you have your will written out, explaining exactly what you want done with your land, who it goes to, how it goes to, whatever those things that we talked about in part one and part two outlined in your will. Because if something happens without a will, you're more or less leaving it up to the state to decide of how to distribute all of your assets as well as your land. And that may not necessarily be in line with what you want. And leaving your assets without a will is exactly how heirs issues start. And we want to avoid all of that potential possibilities. So get with an estate planning lawyer, make sure you go through, have the understanding of what it is you want from your land and for your land for the future, and also have your will done. If nothing else out of this entire series, I do want to make sure you get that done before the end of the month, before the end of the year, ideally before tomorrow, but they don't definitely work that way, but get it done. If nothing else, you can backtrack a lot of this other information but trying to decipher what it is you wanted, make it easy for your family members and put it in writing. I hope you've really enjoyed these 
three-part series on succession and kind of going through the train of thought, the mind of what you need to consider, how you need to look at your land when looking towards the future. If you've enjoyed this, give me a shout out on social media at Landed Ladies. Give it a share, share with a family member, share with some friends. Also shoot me an email at landedladies at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and how these episodes have helped you have a new frame of mind, new perspectives, and planning out for your land for your future. Until next time.